Hello and welcome back to Newfound Pod, a bite-sized podcast about Newfoundland. I'm your host, Debbie Wiseman, and today I'm going to talk to you about the first non-stop transatlantic flight, which originated here in Newfoundland 100 years ago. If you're on social media, you probably heard a lot of grumbling this past week or so about flights. Weather delayed a lot of flights in the U.S., with people being stuck on planes for hours on end with no idea when or if they would take off. And while I certainly sympathize with those people, I can't help but also think how good we have it. If you want to fly across the ocean, you can just buy a ticket and settle into your seat, cramped and overpriced as it is. People didn't always have that luxury. If you wanted to cross the Atlantic, you had to go by boat. Depending on the voyage, that could take about a week. There were no trips by plane. Luckily for us, a couple of British men named John Alcock, age 26, and Arthur Brown, age 32, dared to take a chance on that journey by plane 100 years ago this year. This is the story of that journey. Back in the early 1900s, the Daily Mail offered rewards for pilots who completed tasks that had up to that point not been completed. One of those tasks was to fly nonstop over the Atlantic Ocean, with the pilot or pilots who completed the journey in under 72 hours, earning themselves 10,000 pounds. The journey had to originate in the United States, Canada, or Newfoundland. Remember, Newfoundland was not part of Canada yet. And it had to terminate in Great Britain or Ireland. Though the two men did not know each other previously, they both had served in the First World War, and they both had been prisoners of war. When they heard about the contest, they approached the Vickers Engineering Company separately, and were selected to fly a modified Vickers Vimy 4 twin-engine bomber in the competition. That plane was made from wood, canvas, and wire, and I'll have a photo on my website. Several teams entered the competition and had planned to take off from St. John's. This was the most easterly point to start from, therefore making the trip as short as possible. They planned to land in Ireland. I'll read to you a passage from Flight International magazine about some of the hardships they faced, even before getting the plane, which had to be disassembled for shipment and reassembled when it arrived in Newfoundland. The next month was one of agonizing frustration. Initial searches for a landing strip in the rugged Newfoundland terrain were fruitless. The weather was inhospitable. The crated aircraft, drawn by horses from the docks, could not negotiate the main street until trees had been felled. Survival equipment was mislaid, fuel was found to have been contaminated in storage, and a bird bubble sextant sent from Washington by the U.S. Navy did not arrive in time. Despite all of this, they carried on, rebuilding and testing the plane at Kitty Bitty. Their closest competition to being the first to take off was the Hanley Page team, run by a captain who happened to be a perfectionist. This team couldn't figure out why the radiator kept clogging. Alcock, though, realized it was the heavy mineral content and the sediment in the water, and had it filtered several times and boiled before he used it. On the morning of their takeoff, the Hanley team was still testing, and the Alcock-Brown team were ready to go. There was no airport in St. John's back then, so the teams and locals had worked together to clear a patch of land near Black Marsh Road. With their plane ready to go, they flew it the short distance to their makeshift runway. They had planned to take off on Friday, June 13th, but bad weather once again stood in their way. So, finally, on June 14th, 1919, at 1.40 p.m., they began. The runway was uphill, bumpy, and they had to clear patches of pine trees at the end. 
The plane itself was heavier than usual due to the extra fuel they had to carry with them. Brown reported that they cleared the tops of those trees with only inches to spare. Five minutes after they started down the runway, they were airborne. Once the flight got underway, things didn't get any better for them. The Vimy had an open cockpit, so the men were subjected to the elements. Just a couple of hours in, the wind-driven electrical generator failed, causing them to lose radio contact, their intercom, and their heating. Shortly after that, an exhaust pipe broke, and the noise from that made it such that they could not even hear each other speak. Thick fog hampered them for hours of the flight. They were flying blind, and at two times, Alcock lost control of the aircraft and nearly crashed into the sea. When the sky cleared briefly, they finally got some good luck, and Brown was able to see that they were at least still on course. They had worn electric heating suits, but those failed too. Then they flew into a snowstorm. Brown actually had to climb out onto the wings six times during the flight to try and chip off ice. Imagine that, climbing out into the wing while flying over the Atlantic Ocean, holding on with one hand and chopping away at ice with the other. Several times, Alcock tried flying perilously close to the ocean, hoping that the air would be warm enough at that altitude to melt the ice that kept forming and clogging the engines. Brown was keeping a flight log, and later said that, on at least two occasions, he thought he was making his last entry, and hoped that his notes would help future pilots should his body be found. Finally, though, they reached Ireland. I can't imagine how they must have felt when they saw the Emerald Isle. When people on the ground saw them coming, they tried to wave them off to a nearby airfield. The men just cheerfully waved back, though. Better to crash into a soft Irish bog than an airstrip, so that's exactly what they did when they arrived at Clifton, Connemara, County Galway, Ireland. It wasn't graceful, but they had survived, and made the first non-stop flight across the Atlantic Ocean. People who ran to them after they crash-landed asked if they were okay and where they had come from. When they told them they had just crossed the Atlantic, the crowd laughed at them, thinking surely they must be joking. The men had also been given a small amount of mail by the postmaster in St. John's, so this also made it the first transatlantic airmail flight. The New York Times declared, Alcock and Brown fly across Atlantic, make 1,980 miles in 16 hours 12 minutes sometimes upside down in dense, icy fog. Captain Alcock was quoted as saying, We have had a terrible voyage. The wonder is we are here at all. But they had made it, and England celebrated their accomplishment. Alcock and Brown were knighted by King George V, and they were awarded the Northcliffe Prize by Sir Winston Churchill. They toured England and were praised everywhere they went. Unfortunately, John Alcock was killed in a crash just a few months later and Arthur Brown never flew again and passed away in 1948 at the age of 62. Since this is the 100th anniversary of the flight, there are some activities planned here in St. John's. There is already a memorial plaque outside the Legion on Blackmarsh Road, but a statue has been commissioned to mark our role in aviation history. The Alcock and Brown 100th Anniversary Committee are planning a lot of events this summer during the Centennial Week. Speakers, concerts, an aviator's ball, a garden party, a commemorative beer, and even a recreation of the flight are some of the things that are planned. I'm hoping to take part in at least some of that, and of course I'll be sharing photos on my Instagram if I do. Thanks so much for listening today. If you can, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. 
I'd really appreciate it. I've been loving the reviews that I'm getting. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Newfound Pod. The site with all my previous episodes is newfoundpod.com. You can contact me at newfoundpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much to my supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to support me there, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. And you can support me for free by sharing episodes with your friends and followers. Thanks again, everyone, and I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.